0: If you have your Bible with you, you can open to John chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 14 this morning. Let me uh, give you a little behind-the-scenes glimpse at what got us here to this morning. We were in staff meeting, um, I don't know, a month ago, talking about how the the rest of the calendar was going to play out, and that included discussing um, Sunday services and scheduled for the sermon, <clears throat> and I think I said something about the fact that on uh, Christmas Day, uh, we were going to continue to do our, our Exodus study, right, wherever we happen to be. And I can't remember who it was, but, but one of the guys, well, it's, it's you know one of two, right? So it's, it's JT or Andy, so you can assign blame to whoever one you want. One of the two said something very mean or snarky or something like that. Like, really, I think probably berated me for the fact that I was going to do Exodus and not something that had to do with, with, uh, with Christmas. And so, of course, that wounded me deeply, and I started to go through a time of deep introspection and, and wonder what in the world this was all about. So, I <clears throat> decided that we would, uh, we would look at John 1, which talks about the incarnation. And initially, um, what I had projected was that we would do verses 14 through 18. That starts off with the statement, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory, Glory glories of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so as I'm starting to outline and work through that passage, I can't get out of verse 14. So I thought, well, the good thing is, it's Christmas, everything is closed, no one has anywhere to go, so if there's ever a Sunday to preach for 60 plus minutes, this would be the day. I'm kidding. I, I knew that would not work if not from uh, from my own uh, from my own kids. Uh, so anyway, as as uh, as I continue to go through, it just just so much packed into such a dense passage. So then I went to, to verse 14. Okay, we'll do verse 14. That's what we'll do Christmas morning. I spent time in there and I couldn't get out of the first phrase. All right. So we're in John 1:14. I'll go ahead and read, since I had told the guys that it was going to be 14 through 18, I'll go ahead and read those verses, but I'm just telling you right now, we're going, to, we're going to spend the time that we have this morning in the very first line of verse 14. We're not even going to do one verse of Scripture. Deal with it, all right? 1.14 through 18. Listen to what God tells us in His Word. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, out of your kindness to your people, we ask that you would give us the ability to think clearly and even deeply about the significance of the Incarnation, that God, eternal and unrestrained, humbled himself to become like us in every way, yet without sin. Thank you for sending your Son to become one of us. Jesus, we thank you for your humility and your service to us, even to the point of death on a cross. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for opening our eyes to see this truth as it's revealed to us in your word, not only to understand it, but to recognize it as being true and to receive it as that life-giving word to us. We pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Before we start in 114, let me just say, because of uh, Christmas being a day when uh, a lot of people travel and you're, you perhaps uh, you may be here not as an Edgewood member or even as an, uh, a regular attender, you may be here because uh, a family member or a friend invited you. Um, that's, that's always something that we're excited about. We love having new faces in, and we recognize oftentimes that sometimes when those new faces come in, we may only have them for one morning. And then you're back to wherever home is, uh, whether you're plugged into a church there or not, uh, m- to, to push the, the matter even further. Of course, the less we know about people who are sitting with us, um, the less we know about where they are spiritually. And so I am, I am sure that there is a good possibility that there is at least a person here, if not multiple people, who when we talk about some of the things that, that we're going to expound from John 1 that it may sound uh, somewhat odd, if not even ridiculous. That's okay, All right, Because for you, I've prayed, and others are praying for you, that no matter how odd or strange this scripture may sound to you, that it would sort of be like that little pebble in your shoe, right? It, you, the, you keep walking and you keep feeling it there. It begins to nag at you until you finally have to stop and do something about it. That, that's what I hope happens to you. Even if you find what we're talking about here ridiculous. I'm praying and asking that God's Spirit would take this seemingly absurd truth Plant it into your mind in such a way that you cannot shake yourself free of it until you deal with the truth of God's word. And if, for whatever reason, God puts that on the fast track in your spiritual life, maybe he has already been working on your heart and mind to this very day, you do not need to leave here this morning without talking to someone and getting a deeper, clearer understanding of what this salvation in Jesus Christ is all about. You can find me at the back door, and I'll remain here as long as you want to talk. We'll have other guys that are milling around down front. You talk to anyone here, and we'll put you in contact with someone who can talk to you further about the crazy but true things that we're discussing here this morning. So John 1.14, the word became flesh one of the things that is significant about this first line in verse 14 is the way that it stands in contrast to what John says earlier in the first three verses so in verse 14 the word became flesh in verse 1 John tells us very clearly that this word the logos the very expression of God is God himself and as God, this word, this this God always was. There was never a point in time in which the word became God or anything else. He just always was God because God always is. And in contrast to everything that we know and experience, John says, if you look in verse three, John 1, 3, after saying in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, he says in verse 3, all things came into being through him. Now now that little verbal phrase, came into being, that's the same word that John uses in verse 14 to say that the Word became flesh. So in a very stiff, awkward way, we could say something like, to to hear the similarity, we could say in verse three, that all things became through him. They came into existence, they started. But there was no becoming for the word because he always was until you get to verse 14 and then the one who always was is said to have become. He became flesh. Notice here that John does not even try to dress this up or pretty it up to say something like, he became a person or he became a man. He became human. He became flesh. I think that is John's way of trying to indicate that when we talk about The Son of God, eternally God, always existing, entering into time and space in this creation as a man, He was very, truly man. In every way that we experience this fleshly existence, Jesus Christ experienced that fleshly existence as well, with one exception, He was not tainted by sin. So to think through a little bit more how profound a statement this is, we go back and we, we pull out a little phrase, a little catchphrase from one of those old dead guys, right? Who just sat around thinking about things like this all the time. And the way that Job 1.14 is summed up is summed up this way The statement is remaining what he was that is, God, he became what he was not. That is, man, one of us. Remaining what he was, he became what he was not. So, the one who was the creator of all things became a creature himself. The one who was infinite, unbounded, became limited and constrained. The one who was eternal, having no beginning and no end, became someone with a beginning. He had a starting point. The one who was omnipotent, all-powerful became weak and tired. The one who was omniscient, knowing all things, became ignorant and had to learn. Kids, Jesus had to learn his ABCs. Jesus had to learn how to read and write. If he had had shoestrings on his shoes, he would have had to have learned to tie his shoes. plug for sandals there. The one who was omnipresent everywhere at all times became restricted to a singular location. The one who was eternally content and satisfied became hungry and thirsty. The one who is eternally joyful became sorrowful. The one who was unable to be tempted by evil in any way became a man and was tempted to a degree that we can never experience by Satan himself. The one who cannot suffer or encounter harm or injury in any way became one who suffered in our place. The one who was sinless became sin on our behalf and the one who is and who was the source of all life became one who died. We tend to think that it is great humility or great loss when we lose something of ourselves. That in our mind or in our view is a diminishing, that's a humbling, a condescending. You understand that John 1 to say that the word became flesh his humility, his condescension was actually taking all that we are on himself. He becomes like us, and in that act, he becomes weak and lowly. God the Son became like us in every way so that he could redeem every part of us. That means that to say the word became flesh, he must have every aspect of our human nature, not just a physical body, he must have human emotions. He must have a human mind, he must have a human will, and all of these things that we experience every day of our lives that we wrestle with and try to bring under control, to the will of God, all of that the Son, God himself, took and joined to his divine nature so that he could be like us in every way. Why? Why would he do that? He did it because there was no other way that the sins of his people could be paid for. Because man is the one who sinned, man must pay for his sin. But no man can pay for his own sin, let alone for the sin of others. So in order that man may pay for man's sin, God became man in every way as we are so that he could pay our sin debt. And he becomes a man, not sacrificing, not diminishing in any way his godness, his divinity, so that because his humanity is the humanity of God, as man he could pay our sin debt, and as God he could satisfy the wrath of God in an infinite and eternal way. He became a true man so that by his flesh he could pay for our sin and by his deity he could restore us to righteousness and life. Our salvation cannot and does not happen unless God cries as a baby. So it is incredible to think, then, that in light of what John is declaring in 1.14, the Word became flesh, that we are to understand that God became like us. But here's the other thing. As you continue to work through Scripture, what you begin to realize and what we begin to see is that this is not... This, this taking on, putting on a human nature, human flesh, this is not some sort of cosmic cosplay. Right? This, is, this is not Halloween garb where, where the sun comes down and he says, okay, how long do I have to do this? 33 years? Okay, let's do that. Let's throw the humanity on. And then once I've done all of the shameful, hideous, miserable things, suffering on the cross, dying being raised again, when I get back up to heaven, then I can take the humanity off and be done with it. You understand that the scriptures tell us very clearly that at the moment that God became like us, He always remains like us. In other words, the Son, even at this very moment, continues to be like you and me, even in His glorified state. He does not take on the limitations of our human flesh just to throw it off again. At the moment that He takes it on, He takes it on forever. There's no way that I'm doing something like that. Tell me how long i got to be in this miserable little humble estate and I'll suck it up and I'll do it, but only if I know at the end of the day I get to throw this fleshly garb off and go back to being purely divine without any limitations. The Son takes on our human flesh knowing that once He takes it on, He'll never get rid of it. That is stunning. Here's why this is good news, that He remains to this very moment like one of us. Hold your place here in John 1 and go to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, start with me at verse 23. The former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, verse 25, Therefore, He is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Listen, people, do not pass over this mystery so quickly. When Hebrews tells us in verse 24 that Jesus continues forever, Hebrews is stressing the humanity of Christ. That he, to this very day in the heavenly places, is standing and representing us as one of us. So that when he intercedes for his people, it is not cold, detached prayer or intercession. He knows what it is like to live in a broken world with the heaviness of sin and sorrow all around us. He knows the difficulty that comes with the weakness of this flesh in trying to walk in faith and obedience to the will of our Father. He knows how easy it is for us to be tripped up. And he stands in the heavenly places before God, dressed like one of us, praying and asking that God would give to us exactly what we need. And because he is dressed in our clothing, in humanity, representing us before God, that means that when God looks on the humanity of his son, he will not despise humanity because his son has taken humanity on. And to despise humanity would be to despise his son. So Jesus intercedes for us as a man, for men and women and children who need grace and mercy. And as he intercedes to the Father, the Father looks on the humanity of his Son with pleasure and satisfaction and gives on the request of his Son to his human brothers and sisters all that we need for life and godliness. All because, John 1.14, the Word became flesh and He remains flesh to this day. Another reason that it is good and encouraging to think about the fact that Jesus remains fully man, fully human in the heavenly places right now is because where He is is where we are going. Because His humanity is just like our humanity, except without sin, that means that everything that the humanity of the Son is able to experience in the glories of heaven, that means that our bodies one day will be made renewed, equipped to fit those same glories. There is no doubt, in other words, that we will not one day get our deepest longings and desires satisfied because we see that that has already been done in the man Jesus Christ and because His human flesh has entered into perfect bliss and rest to be enjoyed with a human mind and human emotions, we know that there is a day coming when we too will enter into glory and be able to experience glory like we could never imagine it, even though we are human. Back in the fourth century, A Christian made the statement this way. Even at this moment, he is, as man, making representation for my my salvation until he makes me divine by the power of his incarnate manhood. Even at this moment... He is, as man, making representation for my salvation until he makes me divine by the power of his incarnate manhood. And that gets us to point number three. Not only has God the Son become like one of us, not only does he remain like one of us, even in his exalted state. The third point that we can say is, The wonder of it all is that he became like us so that we could become like him. We will be like him. Turn to 1 John chapter 3. Read with me verses 1 and 2. 1 John 3, 1 and 2. See how great a love the Father has given to us, that we would be called children of God. And we are. By, by the way, this is just another little interjection here, just an aside. I love that line. That we should be called children of God. And we are. We're not just called something. We are something. That we should be called children of God. And we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. And then listen, verse 2. Beloved, now, already now, we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. What is He right now? He is eternally God and forever man. He is the God-man. In His glorified humanity, because when He took on flesh, He never set it aside, and retains and keeps our likeness even to this very moment. When we finally stand face to face with our Lord and Savior, the confident hope and expectation that we have is that our flesh will be made just like His glorified flesh. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more disease, no more grief, no more parting, No more temptation, no more weakness. We will be like Him. All because He was made like us. And John adds to that incredible statement, verse 3. 1 John 3, 3. And everyone who has this hope, this hope that they will be made like him. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everything that God is doing for you right now and for me right now, this, this testing, this refining, this purifying work is being done in preparation for the greatest culture shock that the world has ever seen. When we go from this this, 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 to what He is. He is already in the process of making us like His Son and preparing us for that day. And the the closer, the the, the truer the grasp that we have on that, the more enthused we become to grow in holiness and in righteousness. We do not become more apathetic. we take greater delight in recognizing that the work that He has begun will be fulfilled in that one last final day. So this is what we celebrate on Christmas, that God did not leave us to our own misery and to our own suffering and our own devices, although by rights He would have been perfectly just to do so, but that in order that man would pay for man's sin debt, God Himself, in the person of the Son, became a man to pay the debt that we could not. He keeps His humanity so that He can represent us constantly in the heavenly places, in the fullness of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And with the promise that there's coming a day when our flesh will one day become like his flesh. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask that as a continuing service in your high priestly role for us, that you would continue to teach us and show us how the deep truths of Scripture find their fulfillment in your person and work. Help us to consider how deep the humility and the condescension had to run in order for eternal God to become flesh like one of us. We ask, Father, that as we continue to see the difference between your divine nature and our human nature, and consider that you sent your Son to be made like one of us, that we would be humbled and would seek to kill any remaining vestiges of pride or self-centeredness. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would take the word that you have brought to us and that you would press it deep into our hearts and minds so that we are renewed day by day into the image of Jesus Christ. And help us, we ask, to look forward to that day when there will be no more growing pains, no more groaning over sin or the burdens, the brokenness of this flesh, when we will enter into the joy of the glory of Jesus Christ and share a glorified existence as he enjoys even now. We thank you and praise you. Amen.